Welcome to the Non-Negotiable Success Show. I'm your host, Nina, a New York City lawyer and former lobbyist who left my career in New York to discover my own definition of success. To me, that looked like time freedom, location freedom, and financial freedom. So I started a contract template shop online for entrepreneurs, started earning passive income, and took my life on the road traveling the world. Today, I help online entrepreneurs learn the legal side of business, like how to negotiate contracts, how to network and how to protect your brand, but I also help busy business owners with tips and tricks I've learned along the way from marketing and sales online, which has earned me four times more in passive income than I've ever earned at a New York City firm. Tune in each week for trainings and talks about living life on your own terms to make your success non-negotiable. Let's get into today's conversation. Hey, and welcome back to the Non-Negotiable Success Show. I'm your host, Nina, a lawyer for content creators and a content creator myself. And in this podcast, I share savvy tips so you don't get screwed. In today's episode, I wanted to discuss the Forbes top creators list from 2023. I know I'm a few days late on this, but when I was searching Spotify to listen to a deep dive episode on this topic, nothing popped up in the search. So I've seen videos on TikTok, I've seen videos on YouTube, but I haven't seen anything pop up in SEO for uh, podcasts yet. And I also have some thoughts on my own from a perspective of a lawyer to share um, on why I think some of these creators are on the list in particular as it relates to their entrepreneurship score, which I will get into. So for those of you who are unaware, every year for the last couple of years, Forbes has put out a top 50 creator list, and it's based on a few different things. I'm going to scroll all the way to the bottom. Give me one second so I can read straight from the horse's mouth what they say they base the methodology off of. It says Forbes estimated each creator's gross earnings between June 2022 and June 2023. Our partners at Influential, um, which is a third-party marketing firm, which I'll get into as well, provided follower counts across social platforms and engagement rates, meaning likes, comments, and shares divided by total followers. For the entrepreneur rank, Forbes scored candidates on a one to four scale, ranging from people who make the most of their money from traditional advertising to folks building their own companies, brands, and services. Now, I have something to say about this influential company that they partnered with. So Forbes created this list in partnership with Influential, which, as I mentioned earlier, is a third-party marketing firm, meaning they're not necessarily affiliated with Forbes. As far as I could tell, it wasn't like it was owned by by Forbes or anything. However, I don't know for sure if there's any crossover between the ownership of Forbes and um, Influential. It makes me wonder what connection there is in particular and what between Forbes and Influential as well as between Influential and some of the creators on the list. I feel like I would have enjoyed maybe a link when they said that they teamed up with Influential to create this list. Um, they link to Influential website, but they don't create they don't have any kind of asterisk or disclaimer or any kind of side note. And this is one of the problems that I find with this type of list that Forbes does. It allows for a lot of, I don't want to say corruption because it's not necessarily malicious, but it allows for a lot of um, maybe facts that are looked over and allows for some manipulation 
if they're not fully disclosing everything. Uh, we've seen this before with things like the Forbes 30 under 30 list, where people have allegedly paid for their spot on that list. It's not like Forbes scours the internet and, you know, does their, like, it's not like it's their life mission to find people for this list. It works a lot like typical PR, except even worse than typical PR because people allegedly have paid for a placement in that list. Um, They've also had their own hiccups with false reporting or sloppy reporting when, for instance, they said that Kylie Jenner was the youngest self-made billionaire a few years back, and it turns out they had to retract that because Kylie had provided false income reports. Um, So there's just a lot that can go wrong with these kind of superlatives, and I don't want anyone who's watching listening to this podcast or watching any of this unfold, think that it's some kind of gospel and everything's 100% fact. There's a lot of room for inflation, whether it's like count, follower count, like we don't really know for sure how influential came up with these numbers um, and what they used, right? And we also do not know um, for sure how people have reported their income. I don't know if they've volunteered this information if Forbes has done their due diligence and done something like submit a FOIA request or Freedom of Information Act or law request to get copies of the people's tax returns which I highly doubt they did because I know even for me I filed an extension for my 2022 taxes so I I still have a couple of weeks before I even have to officially declare what my income and expenses and all that was um obviously I submitted like an estimate and paid the estimate um you know, months back, but as an LLC, a single member LLC, I didn't ha- I filed an extension. There's like a truck backing up in the background. So just ignore that noise. Sorry, it should disappear in a few minutes. Anyway, all that to say, I don't fully, fully trust all of the information and data in here. So please don't take it as gospel. And also don't think that there's something wrong with you if you're not being approached for opportunities like these, because these people have managers they have people that will help them generate press maybe they have pr reps and publicists that nominate them for things like this um so let's get into the list now i'm going to be giving you some live feedback i did go through this list briefly last night but i wanted to give in particular my thoughts on the entrepreneurship score and some of the unique opportunities that i think some of these creators have made for themselves leveraging their personal brand into beyond just content creation. I think it's really important to get creative when it comes to diversifying your income. And even though a lot of these creators are very creative in the ways that they've leveraged their personal brand to build wealth and a portfolio for themselves, I also notice a pattern where they're not necessarily reinventing the wheel and coming up with something that's super innovative and creative. It just seems very innovative because they were previously pigeonholed into this content creator or YouTuber trope, and then they decided to use that personal brand to expand into something more um, typical or your average career or job. So first up, we have Jimmy Donaldson, Mr. Beast. And first things first, like I know there's been all these studies that people have shown about why he looks the way he does on his YouTube thumbnails, like something about 
his closed mouth smile will get him more views than if he smiles with his teeth open or maybe it was vice versa but is it just me or does this guy not have like the most punchable face or like he's a caricature of himself like he just looks like a freaking cartoon character to me and i guess that's why he appeals to the masses and to children all over the world and his videos are kind of like spunky i don't know what other word to call it something about i don't mean to be knocking on anyone's looks but I, I think he just has with his little smirk he does a punchable face maybe that's because i'm bitter that he made 82 million dollars this past year but it to me it just seems like one of those dystopian things where the people who create the most ridiculous like dumbed down content do well they do better than well they do the best right so we have people out here who are creating deep dive analyses, educational content, informational content, and it really just goes to show the number, like the top five creators on this list, let me see, the top five creators, six creators on this list, or five of the six top creators on this list, seven even, yeah, all of the top seven people on this list they don't create anything that's like of value in terms of information and education. It's all just silly or it's all just pure entertainment and take that information as you will. So number one, we have Mr. Beast and what I found very interesting about his um, empire, like I said, he made $82 million in the last year and he has a total of 312 million followers, an average engagement rate of 9.8% and an entrepreneurship score of four. He has almost as much followers as there is a population in the United States, just to put that in perspective. And he did something, I think, out of all the creators that is slightly um, revolutionary compared to typical business models. Now, I'm sure you've heard of Mr. Beast Burgers, which is a restaurant chain and he did not totally reinvent the wheel here because we all know and love our childhood days at McDonald's. Or maybe you didn't if you had an almond mom. But I grew up in the 90s and McDonald's was like, I had my first birthday party at McDonald's. And Ronald McDonald was there holding me and I have a Polaroid picture. And there's a ball pit in the background and those metal yellow and red chairs that are nailed to the ground but they spin and rotate and you would just like smack the chair into the table sp spinning back and forth and you'd get your happy meals and the cardboard boxes and there's a golden arch for the handle and you'd put your two fingers in the little arches of the m and you'd walk away with your happy meal and you'd be happy as a pig and shit now i know that mcdonald's is one of the biggest companies in the world but maybe you did not know and i'm sure you have figured this out at some point is that it's a franchise model, meaning there's a franchisor, which is the McDonald's corporation and a franchisee, which is the individual owner and operator of that McDonald's location. And this is a great classic business model for something like fast food chains and other chains as well, where you will have to, um, you will, you will have to obviously get the location and retrofit it so that the building matches the specs and the specifications of that particular brand because they usually have a lot of limitations on how you can build the building, construct it, design it, all that stuff. But they'll give you proper training. They'll give you all the recipes. You can get all of the ingredients through their sanctioned you know, distributors and whatever. And it's a great entry-level 
um, entrepreneurship opportunity for some people. I personally would never go with the franchise model, but for some people, that's a great way for them because they don't have to really market themselves. They save a lot on marketing because everybody knows McDonald's already. McDonald's corporate does the marketing, right? So Mr. Beast took that model and flipped it on its head, which I think is revolutionary. And he went like when everyone else is going right, he went left. Instead of opening up or starting his own beverage line or starting his own merch or whatever that I'm sure he's probably done something similar with brand deals and merch and stuff before, but he decided to create Mr. Beast Burgers, which is a restaurant chain that, um, let me click on the profile and read exactly what it says. Uh... Rather than invest in cooking equipment or delivery infrastructure, Mr. Beast created the Ghost Kitchen operation in December 2020 in which people order a Mr. Beast burger online and an affiliated restaurant with extra staff prepares the order for delivery. So this means that a mom-and-pop restaurant, and I haven't looked into the logistics, but a mom-and-pop restaurant can operate themselves under whatever branding they have, but then maybe they'll get the proper ingredients and the proper recipes and training to and packaging, etc., to then deliver these Mr. Beast burgers. So it saves them a lot of money in terms of building an actual Mr. Beast branded location. And if there's one thing that you learn about these kinds of, like the big pitfall of having a restaurant chain is that nobody wants to go into the franchise model of McDonald's and Wendy's and all of that anymore because then when you have to build those buildings, it's already expensive as it is to build a restaurant because you have to own the real estate or lease it and then you have to do the construction and you have all the inventory, you have staff, like there's so many expenses that come with running a restaurant. If you had to make it like bright yellow and red and have this huge obnoxious sign with a giant letter M on it just to make it fit that specific brand, if you wanted to sell your business or dissolve your company, it, that takes away from the purchase price because whoever buys it, unless they're opening up their own McDonald's, what if they're opening up a Taco Bell? They have to retrofit it. They basically have to take down all the signage, give it a little lipstick job, you know, redo everything just to make it into the Taco Bell brand. Or if they didn't want either of that, they have a building that looks very much like a fast food building structure there for whatever they turn it into everybody's going to know oh it's where the old mcdonald's was or oh it's where the old taco bell was it's never going to be that same vibe as if you had just a standalone business so that's one of the downfalls of having a typical franchise model for fast food restaurants and i think that's what mr beast did really well to get such a high entrepreneurship score is because he solved that problem while still delivering um, the same result, which is opening up that fast food chain and giving people an opportunity to capitalize off of that, not have to do that kind of marketing. And it seems almost like from what I've read, I only know about, like, I know as much about this business as I know from that sentence I just read, almost like an Uber model or a gig economy model where then you can opt in to take orders for Mr. Beast Burger if you have the extra staff available, but if you're in the middle of like a prime Saturday night rush, you don't have to. So I think that's great. Congrats, Mr. Beast. Even though you have a punchable face, you have a very, very big brain. Okay, so next up we have, and I'm going to group these people together. We have KSI number two, 
Um, his earnings are 24 million, total followers 112 million, average engagement rate of 6.5%, and an entrepreneurship score of four. We have Jake Paul at number three and Logan Paul at number six. The reason I'm grouping them together is because these three creators all went the same route of going from YouTuber to and Vine, etc., to then professional athlete. So KSI, he is a boxer and a rapper now, and Jake Paul is in the MMA, and Logan Paul is in the WWE, and just signed a deal there. So this is what I mean where like they're not doing anything super revolutionary, but I think that a lot of people view content creation as a end goal job, a dream job for them, but they just go to exemplify that content creation is just a means to an end. It's just building a personal brand big enough where then you can really get whatever career you want, right? Like would they have become professional athletes if they weren't already so famous? I do not know. I think it would have been a lot more difficult, especially in those industries. And it's just very interesting how um, they shifted away from content creation, which can be exhausting, even though they do it, it's not their only gig, so that they can really fulfill their new dream. And I want you to remember that if your goal is to go into content creation, you never know what's going to pique your interest. Like for example, if you're a content creator that is a lifestyle creator, and then you finally build your buy your first home, you might find that your content really shifts into designing that home, and maybe your network expands into other people who are interior designers or they also you know as you expand your network expands and maybe you're in the room with people who also own real estate or your real estate agent has a wide network and gets you interested in interior design and then you're like designing for all these homes then you're wondering well hmm I could probably sell these homes with my network of friends that now also have millions of dollars and then you go on to open up your own real estate brokerage right like there's no end to dreaming and there's no one finish line as far as content creation goes so I really hope that you don't stop dreaming and you keep your eyes open on the path of opportunity to see what really piques your interest. So I thought that was interesting that all of them decided to shift into um, into an athletic industry. Of course, we also have KSI and uh, Logan Paul have created Prime Hydration, which I think is doing very, very well from what I've uh, read recently. The sports drink, Forbes says, became the official drink for uh, Football Club Barcelona, UFC, and Arsenal this year. And Jake Paul has created a sports betting app, BetR, Better, that raised a $50 million Series A. That's something that I also want to talk about. So we're seeing a big shift of influencers going into being angel investors and going into um, getting funds from private equity themselves if they're raising money or if they might even be in a position to um, create their own fund like we've seen Sofia Amoruso do. We've seen Kim Kardashian and her partner do it, Sky Partners. Um, we've seen a few other celebrities and athletes create their own funds. And this is another great way to diversify your wealth and really expand your network as your career expands. But again, like that's not something that should necessarily be the end goal. Like, oh, I want to own a private equity firm or I want to have start a fund or I want to be an angel investor because 
yes, that's great, but those are also means to an end because, you know, when you are an investor or you have a fund, you have to do a lot of due diligence in terms of finances. You have to really trust your intuition, trust your network, and trust the founders. And there's so much that goes into it where that's like a whole nother career path where you're going to have to hone all these other skills. And even though you might see a lot of people glamorizing that right now, there's a lot of responsibility and hard work that goes into it. So just be aware of that and obviously follow the path of least resistance, follow the natural path of opportunity. But not everything is just super easy. Creating content and being a daily YouTuber is not super easy. There's a lot of business acumen that goes into it that allows someone like Jake Paul to successfully pitch and receive a $50 million Series A, right? Like, yeah, he's famous and he has rich friends who probably could all pitch in that money. But still, the people who operate in these industries, they still want to see the spreadsheets. They still want to see what the return on the investment is. They still have to trust the founder themselves. And it's not like this guy exactly has like the best track record, right? Like he was just like a hooligan on YouTube who kind of developed that business acumen through being disciplined over the years. So that's what I'm saying. It takes a lot of discipline. And I think that's why these, uh, especially the Paul brothers, like they really came up as underdogs because everyone doubted them. Everyone thought they were stupid. They were the butt of every joke for so long. And then here they are on the, both of them on the top of the creators list. Um, and I think it just goes to show how much they've grown and how much they've really started to take business seriously in the more traditional sense. Um, so next time you think you can just like DIY your contract or DIY your taxes, like just think again, even those hooligans figured it out. Okay, so I'm going to skip to the next one. So Rhett and Link, I think that's how you say their name. They're number four on the list. They have 35 million in earnings and a total follower count of 51 million, an average engagement rate of 0.85% and an entrepreneurship score of four. What I thought was interesting about their profile is that they created a creator accelerator fund to invest in upcoming creators. Now, I have not looked into this fund, so I do not know. Maybe it's set up as a nonprofit where they're donating money in terms of grants or whatever to fund different content creators and their projects. I don't know how you pitch for it. I don't know what the submission process is like if you do pitch for it. I don't know anything about that. But what I would imagine it would be more like and why they have such a high entrepreneurship score, because other than that, they have like a variety show and they go on tour and they have books and TV shows and podcast tours. Like that's all like pretty basic shit. And Forbes gave them a entrepreneurship score of four. So I think it sounds like they created their own fund where basically they'll get a return on their investment if they invest in you as a creator. I would imagine it operates a little bit like a venture capital fund, but I don't know for sure. Next up, we have Charlie D'Amelio. She's number five with total earnings of 23 million, total followers of 213 million, and an average engagement rate of 0.7% entrepreneurship score of four. This is funny to me because this model that she's following reminds me a lot of the same model that Mary-Kate and Ashley coined, which then later became the model that like Paris Hilton followed and Kim Kardashian and then paved the way for influencers today. So let me explain. So she has her clothing line um, endorsements. So from Prada and she works with Amazon and CRVA and Skims. Like she has all those endorsements. Then she has a fragrance born dreamer and she has clothing racks 
uh, why did I say clothing racks? <laughs> it says on clothing racks, you'll find social tourist, the brand she and her sister Dixie launched with Hollister in 2021. They're also shooting their reality series, the D'Amelio show. And she has their shoe brand D'Amelio footwear, which like there could not be literally a more boring name for shoes on the face of the earth. Right. Anyway, the model that I thought was interesting is the fact that she has um, this exclusive line with Hollister. This is something we saw in the 90s and early 2000s with Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, where they had a lawyer, I'm plugging in my iPad, so don't mind the noise. They had their lawyer slash like talent manager guy um, really help them get these different deals for opportunities um in hold on plug this fucking thing in um their lawyer really helped them get a bunch of different deals with different department stores and different um distributors by promising exclusivity but here's the catch it would be exclusivity just for that particular line of clothing and then Mary-Kate and Ashley might have a different line of clothing with JCPenney as opposed to Kohl's or a different line of um, clothing with a totally different store, right? So I thought it was interesting that this one was just with Hollister. It's not like they started a clothing line and you can buy it on their website, right? Like it's not like Social Tours is its own brand. It's a line within a store. And that's a model that I know Mary Kay and Ashley really, really blew up and expanded their wealth um, in back in the day. And I learned that from a deep dive YouTube video on them by the channel is, is actually called deep dive. You can watch like, it's called like Mary Kane, the secret life, Mary Kate and Ashley Olson. I don't remember what it is, but then what they did similar to the creator fund we just talked about is they started a company where they would promote the next up and coming level of creators back in the day, actors, and they started representing Zach and Cody. So Mary Kate and Ashley had this company that in turn like represented Zach and Cody from the Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. And same thing, got them all of these different exclusivity deals, licensed out their name, image, and likeness all over the place. That's why they were on like every toy, every t-shirt. They were in every store. And I remember being like, is this show even that popular? And part of it is, yes, it was that popular, but part of it was also leveraging that IP early on to give the semblance of it being super popular by having their faces plastered everywhere. And then that in turn would generate press for the show. And it was a win-win for both Disney and the twins, Zach and Cody, and the twins who essentially managed them, for lack of a better term, Mary-Kate and Ashley and their random lawyer manager guy who started that whole model so genius i think that's why they have a strong entrepreneurship score let me scroll down a little bit next up we have fuck jerry and don't forget he's part of the fuck up behind Firefest. i know that they don't get as much slack because guess what they the people behind fuck jerry produce that documentary on netflix not sure how many people knew that. So obviously it's a little bit of a biased point of view where they're deferring responsibility and deflecting some of the blame. But don't forget they are master marketers, but maybe not always the best at seeing things through. Nevertheless, um, Elliot Tabelli, 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 I don't know how to say his last name, 
the mastermind behind Fuck Jerry is number seven on the list with an earnings of 30, 30 million, total followers of 17 million, average engagement rate of 1%, and an entrepreneurship score of four. So FJ, FJerry LLC has a few different accounts under its umbrella. They have Fuck Jerry, Beige Cardigan, Dude with Sign, and Jerry News, as well as some others. Um, and in total, they have 40 million followers. Now, this is something that back in the early days of Instagram, I saw a lot of creators talk about, or I saw a lot of creators do it back then, but they haven't talked about it until recently after this model kind of like died out. But even another influencer that I have followed for years and years, and right now she does like dating podcasts and like dating tips, but she started out as a fitness influencer and food blogger to heal her PCOS. And then she shifted into a lifestyle creator and then she shifted into a travel vlogger, blogger person. Then she shifted back into lifestyle and whatever now dating, whatever back in the day, she was one of the first people to have a fitness account. And then she also had a a food recipe account. And let's say it was named something basic, like healthy food for you, right? So people would start these accounts, grow them to let's say 100,000, 200,000 followers, which actually meant something back then, and then sell them to another company. So they would get a massive payout for the rights to basically use that name, use that account, use all those followers. And it didn't work for personal brands. It only worked for these pages that maybe at the time were not being monetized because they like brand deals on Instagram were just starting to become a thing. But I've heard quite a few influencers talk about doing that. And it reminds me a lot of the dot-com boom back in the 2000s where people were buying different domain names so that they can sell them later on almost as an investment or a collectible like it's real estate. And I just finished reading the book Anna by Amy O'Dell, the Anna Wintour biography. And there was a a bunch of sections in there about style.com and how um, Condé Nast had acquired style.com because if you think about it that's a very very broad domain name like obviously that has some intellectual property value if you own style.com and the trademark for style.com you are able to sell that if you don't want it now because maybe there's in style magazine that wants it or maybe there's an influencer who wants to grow their personal brand like could you imagine if you were just a random influencer and you owned style.com how many fucking people would find you from that domain it's invaluable real estate so something like that is something I'm about to butcher my sentence right now, but something like that is something like fuck Jerry has done, not necessarily, but his ownership or his company's ownership of different accounts like fuck Jerry, beige cardigan, dude sign. These are all reminiscent of that day and age where people were just growing as many accounts as they could so that they can sell them or buy them out or whatever. Um, He also or his company also has that really fun party game, What Do You Meme, which is sold nationwide at Target, Walmart, and Amazon. And I think I've read in Forbes that it's number 17 um, in board games on Amazon, which is really cool. And um, they also have a booze business, a tequila brand called Ha Ha, J-A-J-A. Okay, next up we have Emma Ch- Aim- Whoa. Emma Chamberlain. She has an earning of 20 million, total followers of 28 million, average engagement rate of 6.25%, and an entrepreneurship score of four. 
You might know her because of her podcast, Anything Goes, which had an exclusive Spotify video deal in February as Spotify is trying to boost their video podcasting platform. Um, So that's really amazing that she got that opportunity. That's something similar to what Joe Rogan had and Alex Cooper from Call Her Daddy had. So I think it's great that she was able to get an opportunity like that as well because those are very coveted. But she also has Chamberlain Coffee, which as its own standalone brand has done really well. Like people don't necessarily associate Chamberlain Coffee with Emma Chamberlain, which I think speaks volumes of this brand as it's not just an influencer brand. Like sometimes we see brands like Rode Skincare and I've never used it or Rode Beauty, whatever the fuck it's called. Like I only know it's Hailey Bieber's brand. I don't know. I can't attest to the quality of the products and I'm sure people will say it's great, but is it great because it's great or is it great because it's Haley Bieber's, right? Chamberlain Coffee has done an, has made a name for itself, which I think is amazing. And I think that it also is a testament to, again, her business acumen and her ability to use her personal brand to leverage these opportunities, but not make the opportunity solely reliant, reliant on the value of her personal brand. So it's a great diversification um, success story. Kudos to you, Ember Chamberlain. Congratulations. Now, um, I'm skipping past a couple of these other people. I wanted to talk about Alex Cooper. She's number 12. Obviously, we all have heard by now of her new network, her podcast company, The Unwell Network, which is ironically going to probably be somewhat like its own version of Barstool Sports, where Barstool is the production company that operates, um, that other podcasts operate under. Now she has the Unwell Network and there's Madeline, Madeline, what, Madeline, whatever her last name is. Sorry, I don't remember her last name. Her podcast is under there. Madeline Argy, and is that her name and Alex Earl have podcasts under there as well and she's going to get obviously a cut of that in order for them to probably front all the production costs so don't forget in 2020 she signed a reported 60 million dollar deal to bring this podcast to Spotify Um, and the podcast is number one on female focused female focused podcasts on Spotify globally, which is amazing. So good for her for really leveraging her opportunities and creating essentially a production company. That's a great way, again, to leverage your personal brand, to build a different brand, but also not make it totally contingent on the value of your brand as well. It's funny to me because I do see these creators on here, but like then I wonder about people like uh, Lauren Everett Spostick and Michael Bostick and Dear Media and where they would fall somewhere on this list. Or I, I do look at people like Joe Rogan and I'm like, why isn't he on this list? Like, is it because they made a lot of money in previous years? Is it because they weren't submitted? Like, I don't understand. I don't understand how, I guess like $60 million is... A fuck ton of money but then some of these creators further down the list only make like two million dollars let's see number 50 let's see what they made number 50 on the list made two million dollars dylan mulvaney she made two million dollars i guess she has a total of 12.5 million followers and an average engagement of 7.5 percent 
her entrepreneurship score is one. Because I guess right now she's just doing typical brand deals. Um, let's see, like number 49 is Drea from Drea Knows Best. She has an average, she has an average engagement of 1.15%, 7 million followers, $1 million in earnings. And it just seems like she has typical brand deals and then she has a education company, Next Level Influence, to educate people on how to build digital communities. But that to me sounds like something that every single coach does. And there's allegedly coaches like making tens of millions of dollars or everyone seems to be making seven figures, right? So I don't know. I guess it's the follower count there. But it really makes me question some of the things on this list, especially as we'll get into. Um, Let's skip there right now. Matter of fact... Tinks. Give me one second. So I didn't point this out. A creator that I follow on TikTok pointed this out, Coco Moco. She pointed out that Tinks, who's ranked at number 26, Forbes previously had her listed as an average engagement rate of 42%, which was astronomical because I'm pretty sure um, the other highest ranking on here was like 26%. And that's just like impossible. It's 42% when you have 2 million followers would be a lot of people and the numbers just didn't add up. So Coco Moco made a video about it and then Forbes actually came out and just sneakily changed the average engagement to 0.4%. She still has an entrepreneurship score of four somehow. Total earnings 7.5 million. And um, she's a TikTok star, Stanford grad, and she basically has a radio show called It's Me Tinks airing on Sirius XM. Endorsement deals include Kleenex, Aldo, and Intimacy. And she has a clothing company, Rich Mom Gear, which kind of sounds like merch because it just sells embroidered sweats and shorts directly to fan. How did she get an entrepreneurship score of four when she's just doing a podcast and brand deals? Like that to me is where I'm like, okay, Forbes, how did you come up with these numbers? How does she have an entrepreneurship score of four? I don't, I don't understand. It just sounds like she's doing the basic influencer things. And don't get me wrong. I know that it takes a lot of gutspa or whatever that word is to get to that point. Like she was putting in the work during the pandemic. She was putting in the work. She was really trying to build that community by being like the big sister mentality. And obviously there's a lot of controversy behind her because some people are saying, you know, they've pulled up racist tweets from back in the day or fat phobic tweets or whatever it was. And there's a lot of controversy. And I I honestly like never got really into tanks, but I know that she's put in the work. You can't deny that. Um, Obviously graduating from Stanford, she's got to be pretty smart. And I'm sure that there's some hustle and clever negotiating on the back end of those deals. But I don't really know. I don't know how. She makes the list, but then someone who, like the people in charge of Dear Media, don't make the list when they've created one of the biggest production companies. I don't know. Anyway, so let's see what else. Um, Josh Richards, the guy from the BFFs podcast, 
is on the list. BFFs is a Barstool owned and operated podcast. Josh Richards is on the list as number 25 and him and some of his TikTok buddies have created a VC firm, Animal Capital, which has 17 million in funding and is raising a $40 million round now where I think they will put that money back into creators. Um, Okay, so what is his entrepreneurship score? Let's go back. My iPad. His entrepreneurship score is three. How does someone who literally started a venture capital, like how did he start a VC firm and have a lower entrepreneurship score than someone who just gets brand deals and a deal with spot with serious X? It doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, okay. Um, who else did I want? Oh, obviously Alex Earl. Let's talk about Alex Earl. She's the last one we're going to talk about. Okay. Alex Earl, she obviously has her new podcast, Hot Mess with Alex Earl. I obviously say obviously a lot. Where is she? I'm pretty sure she was number 40 something on the list. Let's go down and try to find her. She's number 42. It says her earnings were 5 million. Her total followers is 8.5 million. Average engagement, 7.2%. And an entrepreneurship score of two, which I think is great as someone who is balancing college, parting with her friends as a priority and content creation. Like, good for her for getting at least an entrepreneurship score of two. Um, She shifted from her get ready with me videos to brand deals and now some of her biggest brand deals include benefit cosmetics l'oreal and wawa and she just debuted her podcast on alex cooper's unwell network so curious to see what else happens for alex earl and her family um that's really it i just wanted to talk about like the different ways that you can expand your expand your um Expand your influence as an influencer or as a personal brand. Being a content creator is great, but it's never the end goal. And I just thought it was also funny how these people are doing what we think are groundbreaking things. And it's it's absolutely impressive and it's something worth celebrating. But it's also really interesting to me how a lot of it is not reinventing the wheel and it's just doing things that maybe are unexpected for that creator that happened to make sense with their personal brand somewhat, but unexpected because you just look at them as, oh, well, she was just a girl who made Get Ready With Me videos, or Alex Cooper was just a girl who told sex stories on a podcast with her friend, and, you know, the the Jake Paul and Logan Paul brothers were just two hooligans on YouTube who did pranks. Like, it's really amazing how much these people have continue to evolve and I think that's what gets them named on this list aside from maybe some other bureaucratic and political influence like you know and God only knows what impact that third-party company influential has on the rankings as well but that's it for today's episode that's a little deep dive analysis um let me know your thoughts if you think that there's anyone that you're surprised wasn't on the list um do you know a lot of these people on the list do you like them do you hate them do you follow them and if there's any kind of deal or payment structure or business structure that is very interesting to you and you want to learn more about, I'm happy to discuss more behind the scenes of different business models that you can shift into as a content creator. 
Um, stay tuned, by the way, for the rest of this month, I'm going to be starting the spooky series soon. This is the fifth annual spooky series where I share scary stories that are based on true events from my five plus years in this online space and my 10 years as a lawyer. I have really seen it all and I know a lot of people don't talk about these things and I try not to share things that are too fearful and I don't want to intimidate people. I try to make all this legal information accessible, but I know that it can be really intimidating to share horror stories because it feels really isolating. It feels really alone. It feels really personal when someone doesn't pay you or asks for a refund or whatever. And so I get to hear all these stories as a lawyer and as a friend that is in this industry. My, entre- my entrepreneur friends come to me when they want to vent about this stuff and they don't maybe share it publicly because it is taboo. And this is my one of my times of year. There's maybe a couple of times a year where I will actually turn these stories into educational moments to empower you and to make you feel less alone and to tell you what I would do differently or what I would do to avoid them and to fix the situation. So all those are coming up in the spooky series all month long. And then that's always followed by my big annual sale for my business anniversary, November 11th. That's when I opened up my, um, officially opened up my full contract template shop 11 11 2019 so there will be a big sale coming up this month as well so stay tuned for that information and for the fun and i'll see you in the next episode